So without any further ado, we are going to welcome the incredible, the lovely, the always wise Ken Wilson. Ah, shucks. Thank you, Emily. Um, so for Lent, we're, um, we're reflecting on a single word each Sunday, mostly feeling words in connection with God. So I think Emily's word was wonder. Um, next week, I think Caroline might be picking imagine. Those, we're not holder to that. And I think Susan is going to, um, after that, is going to speak on uh, loneliness. So my word is praise. I, I picked it because over my lifetime, I have noticed conflicting feelings about praise. And I thought some of you could possibly relate, maybe not to the details, but to the general idea. Um, my mixed feelings about praise preceded any religious ideas about praise, like we see in the Psalms, like Nathan read from um, Psalm 149. So I grew up before self-esteem parenting culture. Um, if I was complimented about something, my parents said, don't let it go to your head. So their generation was worried about overpraising, not underpraising. Um, and, you know, like a normal human, I, I, I like being complimented, but I feel often awkward um, when someone comp compliments me. My late wife, Nancy, uh, noticed this. So when I... I would typically, someone would say something nice about me in my presence and I would deflect the compliment. Um, and Nancy would chime in, in her inimitable way, uh, receive the compliment, Ken. Uh, so maybe parents in my generation were determined not to under compliment their kids. I, I just remember when my kids were young at soccer or t-ball or ball games, parents would praise every little thing after striking out, you might hear, wow, you almost hit that time. Good job. Um, psychologists call it indiscriminate praise. And research shows that kids quickly learn to tune it out. And it might even um, mute them to uh, hearing uh, you know, more effective praise. So maybe it's not a surprise. I developed conflicted feelings about praise as a spiritual practice when I first heard about it. My first memory about praise in a religious sense is from my Episcopal confirmation class. I think I was 10 years old uh, and it was old school. This is the, this is the prayer book we got. Uh, actually, Julia uh, dug this out for me. It's nice having a Episcopal expert when I'm gonna say something about my Episcopal upbringing. Um, and I should say this, they drew this one out and they've got a new one and this is old school and that's not the way Episcopals do it anymore. Episcopals are wonderful. So. That it was um, the confirmation class was in a question and answer format and a lot of memorization. And this is literally from the book. It was like, what is your name? And answer, Kenneth John Wilson. Uh, question, uh, who gave you this name? Answer, my sponsors at baptism. Question, what did your sponsors then promise for you? Answer, they did promise and vow these things. First, that I should renounce the devil and all his works and pomps and vanity of this wicked world and all the sinful lusts of the flesh. The only sinful lust of the flesh I could think of at that time was eating way too many uh, sugar pops, as they were called. Um, second, that I should believe all the articles of the Christian faith. That is a lot to lay on a 10-year-old. Uh, then there was a question, dost thou not think that thou art bound to believe and to do as they have promised for you? And the answer is yes, verily. 
So I'm thinking, why didn't I just say, wait, I'm only 10. I need to learn what verily means. Um, so during the class, I was told the purpose of man is to praise God. I, I applied what I learned about the dangers of letting compliments go to your head. And I thought, wait, God wants to be praised by everyone frequently. What, what is he, some kind of egomaniac? So I, I, I didn't have a Diane Sonda or a Susan Schaefer or, or a Caroline Kittle to explore these ideas with. That wasn't the culture in the church I grew up in. Um, so shortly after I was confirmed, I began to describe myself as an atheist. I didn't like this idea of a God who was like, praise me all the time. So as a young, young adult, I was drawn, as I've mentioned before, into the Jesus movement, Jesus Christ superstar variety, um, the charismatic wing, which was big into expressed vocal praise. Um, I could tell you stories like when my father-in-law came to a prayer meeting and two young men, uh, guys behind us, were yelling their praises in tongues. And my father-in-law leaned over to me and said, are they okay? Should we call someone? <laughs> but he thought we should like call the medics or someone. Um, but there were plenty of times when this, um, I experienced praise in settings like this, especially the earlier quieter versions in the earliest years of that movement um, with singing. And it was just so compelling and so hauntingly beautiful and moving. I mean, I felt like a bee in a beehive that must feel when uh, you're just vibrating with the hive without needing to meditate for two hours and you're just one with, with um, the universe, I guess. So I, I had had similar push-pull experiences with um, what later became called contemporary worship music. So my first version of that was like folk music, was radical. And then it, then it was like pop rock uh, contemporary worship music. And sometimes it would be really moving, like I'd, I'd feel the woo-woos. And, and then at other times, I was just turned off by like the celebrity culture around the whole enterprise or lyrics like my god is better than your god or or frequent mentions of blood which always just seems so jarring sometimes i did feel transported and other times i just felt manipulated and i, I wonder if it isn't possible that lots of people have a, a lot of different mixed feelings about the spiritual practice of praise um, since we rarely sing in front of others in our society, except in churches, they say people feel super self-conscious about their voice. Most people think their voice is horrible and they're not used to singing in front of other people. So singing with others, I could imagine, could feel very awkward um, if you were to come to church and, and be part of a group singing for the first time. So with this, um, these mixed feelings about praise in the background, I want to muse on this idea of praise as a spiritual practice and begin with the hebrew word uh, hallelujah um, hallel the first part of the word means praise but with certain connotations i'll explore in a minute and then the yah is a short form of the unnameable name i am who am or more likely i will become who i will become so hallelujah is just uh, in its most simple praise god so most occurrences of hallelujah are found in the Psalms, which of course were originally songs. Um, now we only have the words without the melodies. 
But melodies change the feeling of words quite a bit, right? So two most famous melodies associated with the word hallelujah would be the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah. Um, the emotion that conveys would be like triumph. Um, it has like a march, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah. It, it's much nicer than that. I also feel self-conscious um, singing on a Zoom thing. Um, second uh, song that's famous, as we've mentioned it before, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Different feeling entirely in that Hallelujah. Uh, so melody really matters to feel the feeling of words that are meant to be sung. Um, you know, I was with my mother when she died after a long illness. It it did not. It was not a horrifying experience. It felt sad and it felt tender and it felt sacred to be with her. And the, the Leonard Cohen hallelujah would have been just like a perfect emotional accompaniment to that experience. You have a similar kind of blending of tender feelings in Psalm 149, the selection that I uh, drew for the reading that Nathan read uh, today. Hallelujah. It is good to him, God, H-Y-M-N like to him, God, I like that, him as a verb. For it is sweet to adorn with praise, healer of the brokenhearted. God binds their painful wounds. God counts the number of stars to all of them give name, gives names. Hallelujah. So the stem Hallel and Hallelujah has certain connotations in Hebrew. A Hebrew dictionary says this word, um, this verb, Hallel, means to shine, what excited stars do, or praise and cheer, what excited souls do. It may even denote too much of a good thing to be like raving mad. So Yahoo would be an equivalent in English, according to this uh, delightful Hebrew dictionary. So hallelujah is something we can do when we catch a glimpse or a whiff of goodness in the world or kindness or sacredness. And we just vibrate like shining stars vibrate in excitement. Um, when I heard uh, the Pfizer vaccine had been developed way ahead of schedule and tested out at like 95% effective, I almost started crying. You know, by, by that time, two of my favorite men in Julia's church, older guys, uh, Eric and Tom, had died from COVID under circumstances that were just heartbreaking unnecessary. Um, the losses and the injustices of COVID were mounting, obvious to everybody. Uh, then we get the news of the vaccine and that like that Leonard Cohen version and the root meaning of Hallel, what excited stars do, were like a perfect combination. It's like an end is in sight. Wow. Um, so there's an intriguing connotation that Jesus might have had with this word, hallelujah. Now, one interesting thing, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking over at Caroline to see if she's she is very interested in this kind of stuff. So um, one interesting thing about the construction hallelujah in Hebrew is that it adopts the same form as a proper name. And they kind of wonder why weren't people named hallelujah because it, it presents in Hebrew as a proper name. Uh, and there was a key figure in the religious life of Israel at the time of Jesus 
Um, this figure died a few years after Jesus was born, and his name was Hillel, and it means praise. There are synagogues named Hillel. We associate words with uh, people, and during the time of Jesus, there were two sages who founded two different and um, very prominent interpretive traditions or schools of thought, and they were Shammai and Hillel. You may have heard this. Shammai was the strict school. It was focused on purity. By contrast, Hillel was generous-hearted, um, liberal, make, making more accommodations to our human limitations. And Jesus seems to have been most influenced by the Hillel school. So there's a famous story of Hillel being asked by a cheeky student to teach the entire law standing on one leg. And Hillel, it's reported, stood on one leg and said, that which is hateful unto you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole of the Torah. The rest is commentary. Go forth and study. So Jesus flipped that into the positive, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law and the prophets. He didn't just he just didn't come up with that from scratch. He got it from Hillel and was putting his twist on it, which was a way to honor a rabbi is to take their thing and then give your twist to it. So he, he gave that to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which was his interpretation of Torah. And I wonder if he sat for the Sermon on the Mount, which was the traditional rabbinic thing to do when teaching. And then at the end, did he stand up and go on one leg and give his version of the Hillel as his uh, golden rule to summarize what he had just said. So there's ev every reason to think that Hillel was like a beloved sage to Jesus. And when Jesus said, hallelujah, he would have been reminded of the rabbi named praise. Named the words were the same, hallel, hillel. Um, we do associate words with people. There's a really different feel when the person saying hallelujah is a white guy manipulating a crowd, spreading his patriarchal power on the stage. And his yah, the short form of God's name and hallelujah, might be an entirely different yah than let's say Amanda Gorman, the young poet. I read she was followed by a private security guard as she walked home because he thought she looked suspicious. So Amanda Gorman uses biblical images in her poetry and the word hallelujah in one of her poems would have an entirely different feel, like her yah would be a different yah than the guy behind the plexiglass pulpit. So who is saying the word hallelujah and their version of yah really makes the difference. So another word, uh, Hebrew word for praise is, um, it would be spelled Y-A-H-D-A-H pronounced yada, not yada, like yada, 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 but yada. And the funny thing about this word is that it is mostly translated praise or thanks, even though the literal meaning is more like extend a hand or, or even throw. So Hebrew is a much more embodied, physical, concrete language than English is. And it's possible that the Jewish way of expressing thanks and praise was with an extended hand. Like in lots of cultures, words are often accompanied with a lot of hand waving. So the physical gesture of like throwing your hands up came to mean praise or thanks. Uh, in sign language, this is applause, right? Something like that. Um, so let me offer a little um, 
playful midrash um, phrase. So midrash is where you string portions from the Torah, from scripture together from different places uh, and you draw out new meanings or applications when you do this. Um, it's called uh, also called stringing pearls. Like you might make a necklace with a different color bead, stringing different color beads together out of your bead collection. So we'll start with yada, meaning like throw your hands up in praise. And then we had a pearl from a rabbi in Philippians saying, uh, and I'm using the David Bentley Art translation, which is closer to the original language. Whatever things are grand, whatever right, whatever pure, whatever lovely, whatever of good repute, if there be any virtue and be any praise, ponder these things. You string those two pearls with a third, which is the saying of Jesus, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't know if you remember, uh, all you businessy people, uh, this management technique going around maybe 10 years ago. Um, and it, it was this, um, when you need to correct an employee, start with a little praise, then give the correction, then end with another bit of praise. So people tried this with their spouses and their kids and their partners and uh, so if something's bothering you about someone else, you make a correction sandwich with two slices of praise, one before, one after the correction in the middle. Of course, um, employees or spouses or kids on the butt end of this technique soon came to realize that when the person opens with, you know what I really appreciate about you, they would like cringe. They knew that the criticism was coming. They realize this person has been stewing on something that annoys them about me. They're probably like me, kind of averse to conflict. So they're just stewing about it. And they read about this technique and they had to come up with two white bread slices of praise to get me to swallow their criticism. So what if we strung together th these three pearls instead? The first, yada, a phrase we extend or throw out like a gesturing person talking with their hands. Then we add, whatever is praiseworthy, ponder these things. Ponder as in dwell on them, meditate on them, let them linger in your heart. And then out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Actually, Susan's um, meditation, meditative practice was very similar to this, wasn't it, today? I, I want to try that, um, praying for someone. So what if we let, we let this guide our practice of praising or thanking others? I wonder, wouldn't it be natural for those who nurtured the spiritual practice of praising God to have a certain ease in praising or encouraging others? Is that even part of the divine purpose in praise as a spiritual practice? To notice the best in others and to comment on it. Um, if we were, as a spiritual practice, praising Yah, wouldn't we also be looking for Yah wherever Yah could be found, especially in visible form, in those who bear Yah's image? That, that's not such a stretch. And rather than praising to manipulate people as though we're like training a dog, and, and rather than praising people because we really want to correct them, 
and we have to put a couple of phrase laces around the criticism so they swallow it. We, we nurture the spiritual practice of noticing and pondering the good in others. Like Susan was saying, we, we hold the person in our heart like that, um, especially the others who are around us a lot, so that our hearts are filled with these things when we think of them. And then out of the heart from time to time, the mouth would just eventually speak. From time to time, we would throw out a message from our hearts into a text message or a chat on Zoom or a Snapchat. That's a completely gratuitous cultural reference on my part. I have never, I've only seen Snapchat on Oceana's phone. I've never received one. I've never signed up and given one. I can't even imagine doing that. The fact that I'm referencing Snapchat is probably an indication that Snapchat is so done, like it's probably not even happening anymore. So, so they say um, we're maybe two thirds of the way through this pandemic. Um, Diane sent an article to our staff about this. And it said, this is the hardest part of any period of isolation, like the two thirds mark. You know, like if you're running a marathon, I, I can imagine the two thirds mark. It's gotta be like the mentally the hardest part. When is this gonna be over? Um, so our mental health is is stretching really thin right now at this two thirds mark. Um, maybe in a time like this, when our tanks are so low, Yah might even be pleased if we deflected some of the praise meant for Yah to the others around us who bear Yah's image for a while. And then when we come together and we can sing our lungs out again, we can make it up to Yah. <laughs> is what I'm thinking. So praise Yah, praise y'all. That's my offering today. And pass it over to Cassie. So we're going to go into a time of meditation. And if you'd like to participate, just go ahead and get comfortable. Close your eyes. You can relax your hands in your lap. And then take a deep breath in through your nose. And when you're ready, exhale through your mouth. I want you to continue your breath at your own pace. Just make sure that it stays nice and slow. Now, I want you to imagine yourself in a place where you feel most at peace. So that might be out in nature, or maybe with your pet or at your favorite vacation spot. Visualize yourself there, really engage your senses and feel that deep sense of peace and rest in your spirit as you continue to breathe. Now I want you to think of a word that best describes or represents who or what God is or has been to you. Love, friend, 
hope, confidant, healer, peace. Imagine sitting with God as you imagine God and feeling this wash over you. Continue allowing this to wash over you. Continue to breathe deeply as I read part of Psalm 145. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all her ways and faithful in all she does. The Lord is near to all who call on her, to all who call on her in truth. She fulfills the desires of those who fear her. She hears their cry and saves them. A couple more deep breaths. One more. You can open your eyes and now we will have our candle lighting.